This is Johanna Wildoak. Today I'm sharing with you a rebroadcast of a radio program that I recorded all the way back in 2007 with a former KZYX programmer that many of you will still remember, Ross Murray. Ross shared his commentary on KZYX for many years. He was born in 1918 and he left us in June of 2017, just shy of his 98th birthday. September 16th this year would have been Ross Murray's 104th birthday. I'm sharing this conversation with you in memory of Ross Murray and in honor of his courage, his sense of humor, and his profound humanity. He was a wonderful example of how a human being can transform his life again and again and make a huge difference in the lives of many other people. Ross was also a broadcast media pioneer, Among other positions, he was the sound effects editor on The Carl Burnett Show until the show went off the air in 1978. Ross, Mary, and I started our radio shows at around the same time at KZYX, around 2000. He began a a one-hour-a-month current affairs show on KZYX, which lasted about two years. After that, Ross, Mary produced five-minute commentaries once a week for several years. For a time, his commentary program ran at the beginning of my program, Wild Oak Living. I was always honored to have my program juxtaposed with Ross Mary's program on KZYX because what he had to say was important, was funny, was profound, and as I said, he was completely fearless. This interview from 2007 is not only a wonderful trip down memory lane, Ross calls out so many factors about the media and politics that are still very applicable today. In the second half of the interview, you will hear callers you might recognize, some of whom are no longer with us, like Robert from West of Willits. When asked by the Ukiah Daily Journal, Carol Hester, when asked by the Ukiah Daily Journal's Carol Hester on his 97th birthday, What do you do for fun? Mary quipped, I try to stay alive and learn how to live alone. And how would this venerable veteran like to be remembered, she asked, as a good father and a patriot. I hope you enjoy this 2007 interview with Ross Mary. Listening to it and preparing it for rebroadcast not only brought back wonderful memories for me, it also reminded me about the timeless insights Ross shared with us in his years with KZYX. Insights that are as relevant today as they were then. As one listener who called in to the program in 2007 said, so much character in one biped organism. Enjoy this interview with Ross Mary from 2007. Good morning, Mendocino County. You're listening to Wild Oak Living and welcome Wild Oak Living is a program about living, working, and having fun sustainably in Mendocino County and beyond. Welcome to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak, host and producer of this program. In a moment, we're going to be joined by Ross Murray, senior programmer of KZYX and Z, news commentator on the local news. And also, we will find we will find out about Ross's life and what Ross thinks about many issues of of the day, and sort of get to know the man behind the news and the perspective and wisdom of somebody who has lived uh, nine decades, which is just amazing. <laughs> so so wonderful to have you on the program, Ross. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. 
I'm trying to figure out if uh, February 15th means I'm a little older or a little younger. It depends on which February 15th you're talking about. <laughs> I guess next year's. I'm usually ahead of my time. <laughs> trying, I'm trying to get back into the moment. Ross, Mary, I am, as I said earlier, so honored to have you here on the program and would like to start by perhaps uh, giving us a little overview of your life. I'm, I'm not going to spend the entire program doing a biography because for, Thank some, you very much. Yeah, for somebody <laughs> who's lived nine decades, that would take a lot longer than we have in this program. Let's perhaps then start with just some of the highlights of your life, of your professional life. Oh, professional. Uh, well, you were born in 1912, right? Is that no, correct? No, no. Not, 1918. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> well, we're back to February 15th, aren't we? <laughs> uh, 1918, September 16. And uh, uh, that was the one of the first highlights of my life. <laughs> where, where, was, where was that? That was in New York City. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in New York City, too? Uh, no, I actually, I grew up in a lot of different places. Uh, I grew up in, uh, North, in uh, uh, New Jersey, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, and Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started school in Philadelphia. Uh, the family bounced around pretty well for the next 16 years, and I started college in Philadelphia. And uh, left college in 1937. And that's when you went to the West Coast? Came to to, the West Coast. To be in the movies? And got in. Well, actually, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. But it seems that, uh, remember, this was Depression time. Right. And there weren't a lot of jobs for 18-year-old boys. However, I had certain skills which were useful in the picture business. I could ice skate, I could ride a horse, and I could dance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did from 1937 to 1940, well, to Pearl Harbor Day. You could have become president with those skills. skills. I think those were the (laughs) skills Ronald Reagan had, right? (laughs) I worked with Ronald Reagan in 1938. In, in a on movie? Brother Rat, yes. Mm-hmm. And I also, as a matter of fact, the connection with Ronald Reagan, much later, when I was writing radio shows, I wrote a radio show for Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I knew the man somewhat. During your time in the movie, you, you worked with a lot of famous people, right? Ronald Reagan being one yes, of them? Yes, I did. I was uh, lucky enough to work with Fred Astaire, uh, Shirley Temple... Uh, Eleanor Powell, Betty Grable, you know, the usual people who did musical shows. And uh, it was a pleasurable thing for a young man at the time. Yes. Uh, If you could do those things, if you could dance, if you could ice skate, and if you were the right age group, the right age group was between 18 and 25, Because if you remember, in the late 30s, they started making a lot of soldier pictures. And uh, I I had my share of them, including Gunga Din, 
The Fighting 69th, you know, just a whole bunch of old-time movies. What what brought on this this uh, this making of the soldier pictures was that the anticipation of the war. Or? I think so. I, uh, first of all, there was a a whole lot of nostalgia about World War One in the thirties, and then uh, when things start getting hot over in Europe around nineteen thirty eight, they started making soldier pictures about uh, people coming later. Uh, obviously, they didn't make any World War II pictures until after 1941, but they made a few movies about problems in Europe, which started in 1939. Uh, I remember uh, being a soldier on a movie that involved German soldiers and Czechoslovakian soldiers. And uh, one of the things that some of the younger men did was see if you could get both uniforms so that when they called for the German soldiers you put the Czechoslovakian soldier jacket on and said I'm a Czech soldier <laughs> and <laughs> later when they wanted the Czech soldiers you made sure you had your German uniform on. Anyway these were the mischievous things that young men did but we did those uh, soldier pictures and they were in anticipation of the problem that was going to occur. Nobody, of course, figured on Pearl Harbor. So, so with with that, we have the keyword for what what was the next phase in your life, which is the which is the war years. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, how did you? What was your role during World War II? I know you were a bomber pilot. Well, what happened? World War II, right after Pearl Harbor, uh, I went down to the Naval Air Corps and uh, signed up for an examination for a physical and a, a mental and uh, passed the mental and uh, got nailed on the physical because I had a deviated septum. So I spent my own money. They uh, mentioned a doctor that did it rather inexpensively for potential naval pilots and uh, had the operation over the weekend and uh, got it fixed, and then the uh, selection board turned me down. Now, you're not going to believe this, because I was too old. Oh, how old were you at I the time? I was 23. Oh, my goodness. At Pearl Harbor, and they were very kind. They said, you know, we're getting all the 19- and 20-year-olds we can handle. They were getting people like George H.W. Bush, who was 19, so at 23, I was considered an old man. I uh, fussed and fumed for about a month and then went to Santa Ana to the Army Air Corps and passed their physical and their mental and was accepted. And uh, flew bombardier students for about four months. This is after training and then went through B-17s, became a B-17 instructor, after which they made me assistant operations officer of the base. And like most young men, you get tired of just sitting around while other guys are putting their lives on the line. And after screaming my head off for a few months, my CO let me go through B-29s. 
I went through B-29s, picked up a crew in Lincoln, Nebraska, then was uh, sent to Tucson, Arizona, and did my overseas training in B-29s, and we got all our shots and got ready to go, and they dropped the big bomb. In and that was the end of it. And it was a very difficult thing to have gone through that whole thing and never and been trained to do a specific job and never had the chance to do it. Because because the war ended because at that point. Because the war ended. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh What what motivated you? What made you so eager to be involved in the in the war? It uh I was at a point in my life where just being in the picture business and being a dancer was a dead end. Mm-hmm. And this was an opportunity for me to either get shot down and die or have a career. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a while I would... And either one of those would have been all right with you? <laughs> you, you take what you can get. <laughs> uh, I thought I would make a career of the service until I got a, an offer from a gentleman to be a writer because I had written some stuff already. And uh, anyway, that didn't turn out after I left the service. And it was back to uh, doing what you know how to do. And I did a a movie with Betty Hutton. Mm -hmm. You can still see it. They still play it, uh, The Perils of Pauline. And it was in the finale. And uh, shortly after that, I went to work for MGM, Standing in for Peter Lawford, and, and you and you were dancing, and I was no no dancing anymore, mm-hmm. just standing in for him. Okay, and that was kind of dull, interesting but dull, and uh, circumstances was such that I had an opportunity to go to work for CBS in 1949, and those were the early days of television, early days of radio. Television hadn't really started okay. yet. Television. They had television, but really nothing happened until I Love Lucy was really a, uh, what's the word, an icebreaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember they shot the pilot in one of the radio studios. There were no television studios in those days. And uh, they did I the I Love Lucy um pilot in 1950 the show was bought and television took off and CBS built Television City in 1952 and in 1954 I was transferred to television so you started in 49 in radio and then you went to television went to television mm-hmm. in 54 mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was fascinating and then in 1956 Ampex came up with the first videotape machine with two-inch tape, and that was interesting. CBS started their videotape department with four young men. I was lucky enough to be one of them. And um, So you were one of the first videotape people in the world? Yes. And was that exciting? Uh, was it was very exciting. As a matter of fact... Um, Fifty years after it happened, 
somebody finally wondered who was the first videotape editor. And as it happened, there was somebody still alive, a CBS vice president, who at the time knew that I had figured out how to cut the stuff. And so Joyce and I were taken down south to uh, the uh, technical Emmy show, and there I was presented uh, with a memento of that. So this is a little different than, you know, nowadays where whiz kids in Silicon Valley invent equipment and then people in the industry use it. You actually helped figure out how to, you helped invent the equipment. Well, in, in those days, you actually physically cut the tape. Right, right. And because it was such a complex method of putting the information on the tape, there was no way to figure out where do you cut. It's not like listening to sound where you can find the pauses. Anyway, it was a rather complex thing and uh, a series of fortuitous circumstances that made it possible. And it was, uh, it was a fun time for me. Yeah. Was that your main job, was the video editing? No. Uh, after it got to the point where the producer would send his nephew down to uh, supervise editing, I grew a little impatient with that. <laughs> and I asked for and was given an opportunity to go back to my first love, which was sound effects. Mm-hmm. And I did the Danny Kaye show for four years. And we got an Emmy for that show. And then I did Red Skelton. And then Carol Burnett. And I was on Carol Burnett for nine years. And by that time, I That's was... That's about the time when I started watching television, when I was old enough, really? when we finally got a television. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, Carol Burnett... Started in 1969 and went for 11 years. No, she started in 67, mm-hmm. went for 11 years. And I joined the show in 69. And uh, it was a fun show. It was a fun show. And by that time, I was the head of the department. The sound effects or the... Yeah, yeah. sound effects and post-production. Mm-hmm. Is, is it true that, that you invented the laugh track? No. I know who did. Who is that? Uh, I'm not going to discuss it okay. because there's another gentleman <laughs> who says he invented it, okay. and I'm not going to say anything. Okay, okay. That's off limits. But, all right, okay. We'll move <laughs> on then. What, what, made you, what made you fascinated with sound effects? What drew you to that? It was just a series of circumstances. Uh, while standing in for Peter Lawford, I got to uh, uh, become involved with a group of people you know, go to parties and get to know people. And I got to know the head of sound effects in radio. And uh, I was at that time looking for something. And uh, it was my birthday. So we had a party at my house. And he walked into the kitchen while I was fixing drinks. And this is a true story. He said, um, How's the picture business? I said, fine. I said, how's radio? He says, oh, he says, I'm really busy. He said, I'm so busy, I'm going to have to add a man to my department. 
<laughs> and I said, ask a friend. He said, you want to work for me? And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, I'll call you. Well, in Hollywood, I'll call you means forget it. Yeah. But two weeks later, wow. he called. He said, you still want to work for CBS? I said, yes. He said, get your body over here. Except he didn't say body. He yeah. used another term. An abbreviated version <laughs> yeah. of that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I went over, and it was sound effects. And I said, uh, leave me alone for two weeks so that I can figure things out. Well, he left me alone for one week. And as luck would have it, there were a bunch of terrific men in that department who taught me very quickly. And I'm, I think and, you're and fast being in show business right. and understanding show business. And then about a year after I joined the department, uh, I decided to start writing. Writing? What did you write? And I wrote radio shows for 10 years while I was still doing sound effects and after I transferred to television. I wrote radio shows until radio died. Who did you write for? I wrote for, as I said before, Ronald Reagan, mm -hmm. Fred McMurray, Bill, I can't remember Bill's last name. He used to do Gunsmoke. Anyway, just for a whole bunch of people. And I've got the scripts. There's one interesting thing that I have found. Old men usually lie about their histories because there's nobody alive to contradict them. <laughs> Does that they, include uh, you? Yeah, they're <laughs> That's the point. Old men are history revisionists. Uh -huh. Why, when I was young, I saw, well, I saved my scripts. I saved the tapes. Good for you. I've got the stills from the movies. You can look at the movies today and see a very young dancer. So there's no sense in being a revisionist, and I've got the Emmy plaques. So, you know. Well, and, you know, given, given how... Um, <laughs> serious you are about telling the truth on your radio commentaries, uh, I doubt that you would even change an iota of your history as you're telling it. I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. And as, and as so far as the radio is concerned, there is, uh, there is a rather large dividing line between commentators who tell you exactly what's happening and commentators who tell you what they think is happening. Mm -hmm. I try my best to tell you what is happening. So I save all my source material. And I noted that you do a great deal of research for your commentaries. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Right now I'd like to tell you that you are listening to Wild Oak Living here on KZYX and Z, listener-supported community radio for Mendocino County and beyond. This is Johanna Wild Oak, host and producer of this program. My guest today, my very special guest that I'm very honored to have on the program is Ross Mary, who is KZYX and Z's senior programmer in his ninth decade of living, which is just an amazing accomplishment in itself, especially if you saw how chipper and spry and in what wonderful shape Ross is. It's just amazing. I guess all that dancing kept you in shape, huh? You're embarrassing me. <laughs> um, 
We are going to be spending the the, the entire program until 10 o'clock with Ross. Uh, depending on how much progress we make, we might take a few call-ins towards maybe the last 10 or 15 minutes of the program. If our listeners have any questions for you, would that be okay with you, Ross? Absolutely. Okay. I think that's all I need to tell you at this point. Let's just go right back to talking with you. You talked about writing for radio and you talked about uh, being with CBS and the Carl Burnett show at the end of the 60s. Uh, and, and you worked until CBS until 1980 when you 1980. retired. Mm-hmm. Retired and came to Boonville. Yeah, of all which we're, we're so lucky that you're here because we get to hear what you used to, you used to do monthly uh, radio, one-hour radio programs, and now you do weekly now I do commentary the week, yeah. on the news. I, I'd like to, before we move on to your life today and your perspective on things, I'd like to ask you, you were associated with technology, with multimedia technology, basically from the late 40s until the 8, until 1980. Yes. What's your perspective on how technology changed during that time and how it influenced the way, you know, the way media is done? Uh, I think the big change to me was in advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, the minute they allowed the drug companies to advertise directly to the consumer, I think it changed the face of television. I think that's the reason. There are a lot of people who are unhappy with television as it is today. Because you can you can watch television and see a continuous selling, 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 selling. It's gotten to the point where I remember the ratio of advertising minutes to programming was three minutes per, of advertising per half hour, which is six minutes per hour, which included everything, including introductory statements. And Now it's roughly 20 minutes of advertising for every 40 minutes of programming. And to me, that's, that is killing television. And that's not counting some of the hidden advertising, exactly. like product placement. Placement, and, yeah. placement, right. Right, right, right. And that bothers me. That bothers me a lot. Do you think that's caused, uh, um, caused a lot of people to tune out of yes, watching ma'am. television? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, in some ways, it has made cable what it is. Mm. Because there are a lot of programs on cable without television. But, of course, I mean, without uh, advertising. advertising. Mm-hmm. But if you look... Little by little, the advertising is sneaking into cable mm-hmm. and into the dish programs. A little, a little, it's the nose of the camel in the tent. Why do you think that's happening? Is because of the money involved? Absolutely. Yeah. It's money. Yeah. It's money, and you want me to talk politics? <laughs> well, at some point, we're going to get to politics. <laughs> I guess, let me, let me, I, yeah, go ahead. I think one of the big problems today is that too much money is involved in our politics. I, as an individual, cannot compete with a drug company that can give a candidate $600,000. It's as simple as that. We are allowing our representatives and senators to be 
and I'm not going to say bought, but to be completely vulnerable to the lobbying people, completely vulnerable to whoever can support their campaigns. The, ind- the thing that is a slightly leavening factor uh, has been the computer people. Mm-hmm. The the people on uh, YouTube, you know, all those, they're a, a little bit of a counterbalance, but only a little bit. You still can't compete with 600,000 at a crack or 800,000 at a crack. And I think the we're not going to succeed uh, when, until we get the big money out of the campaigns. Yeah. It's just my, it's just my opinion. Yeah, I guess there's there's this saying that says, you know, those who pay, you know, have the say or something like that, something yeah, along yeah. those lines. Yeah, yeah. and to me, yeah. that's the big thing today. Have you always been interested in politics? Uh, is this or is this a relatively recent development in terms of? Uh, I started becoming interested in politics when Adolf Hitler became popular. And and why why was that? I was interested in what was going on. I was interested in reading what he was saying, the translation, of course, and I couldn't understand how some people believed what he was saying. This is actually, I'm I'm glad you took us back to that era because, uh, as you know, I I was born and grew up in Europe, uh, and so, interestingly enough, when I went to school uh, in the 60s, we didn't actually cover that period a lot. It, I think there was still a lot of shame and denial oh, involved with that period. It was a sore, a sore spot. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so my, I guess the thing that I've always found hard to understand, and since you said you were interested politically during that period, was there really no knowledge of what was happening in, in Europe? Uh, in, you mean here? Yeah. Yes, there was a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But there were people, again... There were people here who believed in Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And I'm using that. That's the subject of one of my little programs. Why? It's hard to say why. Why does a man like uh, Charles Lindbergh suddenly decide that he's for what's happening in Germany? The masquerading as America first. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't want to give away my little my little program, but uh, I'm discussing it. Oh, that'll be fascinating. Uh, yeah. But there were, we even had one senator who was very pro-Nazi. We even had people drilling in New Jersey, the German-American Bund. They had a little campground in New Jersey, and they drilled in Nazi uniforms. You know, we let it go. That was okay. We are very that time. tolerant. We're a tolerant nation. Mm-hmm. And those people who weren't supporters of the Nazis were they in denial, or was it just not bad no. enough that they didn't? You know that. Okay, I'm going to give it away. I'm going <laughs> to. Oh it no, away. that's okay. You don't have no, to. No, it's okay. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to give it away. <clears throat> this whole thing that's going on with Musharraf in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And this administration is going to support him because, after all, he's got those nuclear bombs. And if we don't support him, uh, somebody else might get those bombs. Well, the same thing happened here in this country. 
fear factor. We had people supporting Hitler because he was anti-communist. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't support Hitler, the communists would take over. Well, that's fallacious reasoning. And it's still as fallacious then as it is today. So the, the this period when Hitler came to power stimulated your interest in politics. Did that continue over... Yes. Over the years? Yes. I've been interested. I think if you're going to vote, you should know something. Read something. Speaking of knowing something and reading something, it's my understanding that you read a lot. Yes. Talk a little bit about how you do your research for, for your personal consumption and for your program. For your I have 12 publications to which I subscribe, including conservative publications, and a couple from overseas. That doesn't include the local Time, Newsweek. I don't include those. I read them, but I get a lot of information. I like to know what the writers in other countries are saying. And this is how you find out how people really think about us and what, you know, and that's where I get the stuff. Mm -hmm. I read a lot. How much time do you think you spend a day reading? A couple of hours. Yeah. And it, that, that's mostly news type, yeah. type, type yeah. things? Yeah. Yeah. Information. 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 Mm-hmm. And then how do you decide uh, what you're going to cover on your program? And once you decide, how do you prepare for that? If it tickles me. <laughs> <laughs> if it strikes a chord with me, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'll Xerox the item and set it aside. Now I've. This is why it is a very difficult thing to have people over to the house, because the dining room table is six feet high in paper. <laughs> <laughs> that must drive Joyce crazy sometimes. Hmm? That must drive Joyce crazy sometimes. Well, Joyce also is a, a very avid reader, so we have no complaints with each other. Do you talk to each other about what you read? Do you have yes. political discussions? Uh, as a matter of fact, my wife is my editor mm-hmm. because my wife knows how to approach what I'm saying from the average viewer standpoint. And my wife also has a mantra. And the mantra is, don't be too subtle. You must hit them over the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> You got to get the attention. Yeah. If you're too subtle, people are going to ignore you. And your wife is actually. And, and don't use words that are too long and too complicated. <laughs> That's very good advice. No $50 words. Your wife is Joyce Mary, um, who was, as I understand it, one of the Andrews sisters. Yes. Her name was Joyce D. Young. She started singing on television before I got into television. She started in 1950, sang with Fred Waring for four years, and then on television, and then when their program was dropped, as all programs are eventually, instead of staying with Waring and just touring for the rest of her life, she decided to take her chances in New York. And she stayed there, and she sang with Perry Como, she sang for four or five years. God, I can't remember the name anyway. It'll come to me. I'm old and I forget names. Gary Moore. She was on the Gary Moore show. 
I'm young and I forget names. Yes, and she <laughs> uh, did record dates and is on some very popular records even today. And uh, then, uh, without telling, without the public knowing it, uh, one of the Andrews sisters uh, fell ill from cancer. And uh, then pretty soon she couldn't perform, and very quietly they were looking for a good alto who could pick up quickly, who was good-looking and could sing well, and they just reached out and grabbed Joyce, and she joined the trio and sang with them for a few years until they broke up because they had... Like so many sisters, they did not get along too well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Joyce, at that time, was asked to come be uh, the assistant to the associate producer on the Carol Burnett Show because she had secretarial skills. And the associate, and the associate producer of the Burnett Show was somebody with whom she had sung on the Fred Waring Show. Oh wow! So, and she knew the family and the children, so she came to the West Coast and joined the show. And I met her two years after she joined the show. I, I was living in my own little world. I had sent my three boys off to college three boys whom I had acquired from a divorce in the 60s, and I got the children, which is pretty rare in those days. Yeah. And we had a good time. We had a good time. I raised the boys, and uh, one of them was National Merit Scholarship finalist. The other two went to the University of California. Good for so, you. So, you know. What was that like, being a single father in the three years? It was fun. I had a good time with them. I have... Uh, they're good gentlemen. They're in their 50s now and have grown up nicely. You did a great job. And love my wife, their stepmother, mm -hmm. which is a big help. Yes. <laughs> We've been married 34 years. Do you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren? No, I have no grandchildren. We have several surrogate grandchildren, young people who have grown up in the 27 years that we've been here with whom we've been closely associated. We've kind of adopted them. It's so fascinating to think of you having been retired for longer than most people have worked. Yes. What is that like? <laughs> what, what, I mean, what is retirement like for you after having, been, having had such a busy and varied career? Absolutely delightful. What I did, I hate to use that word I, what your guest did. <laughs> when, After you passed 90, you're entitled yeah. to use the word I. <laughs> when he retired, he decided, as long as he had the time, to do civic work. Mm -hmm. So for two years, I was uh, president of the local chamber of commerce. Matter of fact, in those days, the meetings, the monthly meetings, were catered affairs. 40 to 50 people at a time. And... Uh, I was on the board of the Mendocino Development Corporation. I was foreman of the grand jury, uh, commander of the American Legion. You know, did all those things for the first 15, 16 years, and then came to the station. 
I knew when the station was built and one of my friends from CBS came up and set up what went where in this building. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's how long I've been associated with the station. When and did then, you start your as a programmer at the station? When Carol uh, uh, Pratt came up, and there was a strange coincidence that Carol and I knew each other's names from the business. We had never met and both retired up here. And he joined the station right away. He's that kind of a wonderful guy. And he talked me into coming over and taking a look, and I was fascinated. And I started started my hour program. If you've just joined us, um, we, this is Wild Oak Living on KZYX and Z, and my guest today is Ross Murray, KZYX and Z's senior programmer. He does the weekly commentary on Thursday evenings on the local news. So um, you started, your program used to be an hour-a-month program? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, one hour a month, and that's mm-hmm. a lot of work Yes, if you're going to do it properly. Because you scripted your entire program, yes. right? Yes, yeah. You wrote it out in advance. Absolutely, with uh, a little uh, pauses so I could cough. <laughs> <laughs> and you still script your, your five-minute programs. You come in in the morning on Thursdays, yeah. which is how we run into each other every Thursday. Every mm-hmm. other, we run into each other every other Thursday yes. in the parking lot. That's right. And our dogs play together in the parking lot. Yeah, don't tell my <laughs> wife. She'll, she'll, you know, I'm meeting you secretly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> the whole county knows. <laughs> Well, you know, Russ, I would like to give people an opportunity to join oh, this program and ask questions. Mean. So let's take some calls. I have lots more questions, but I also want to give our listeners a chance to join us. Hello, you're live on Wild Oak Living. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Oh, Ross, you're, this is Robert from out here, West of Willis. You're one of my cultural heroes, man. I met you at the Wild Iris about two or three years ago, and we had a nice talk. And what I would like to call in to you is, hello? Yes, yes. Go ahead. I'm listening. Okay. Yes, and I'll hang up as quick as I can. Uh, I'd like to to hear you support local theater. We've got theaters in this county like, uh, you know, uh, the Willits Community Theater here and the Ukiah uh, Players Theater and the Mendocino Community Theater and a bunch of other folks, you know. It's just really great. And, you know, I've been involved with the with the Willits uh, outfit for years and years and years and been on the boards here and there. But, uh, you know, it's great. You know, older people that have not had time in their lives to go on stage and always wanted to, and, and younger people in the high school and so forth, and uh, just getting up there and... Uh, and uh, I don't know. There's something sacred about the theater. Is it an old uh, temple or what? <laughs> you know, Robert, that's a, it's a really good idea. I should do I should do a program about our local theaters. Okay. Well, I'm going to hang up because okay, the, the phone Robert. isn't working well. But I sure okay. am listening for your answer. Thanks. Thank you. you. You know, talking about local theater reminds me of something that I should mention. It's not only that I have done civic work, Joyce is recording secretary for the community concert series people. 
and also uh, sings alto on a quartet. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. I would love to hear to hear her sing. No, but I, I agree with that. I, I think local theater is very important, and we do attend, Joyce and I. Yes, and of course it's very support, important for all of us to support local theater by actually going to their performances and, uh, and supporting it that way. We have another call. Hello, you're live on Wild Earth Living. Good morning. I just wanted to say that I am a secret admirer and always have been of Ross Murray's. I live here in the Valley, and I'd like to ask him, uh, and also, by the way, we have a wonderful Valley Theater group called the Anderson Valley Theater Guild, which did uh, Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, and also The Good Doctor, a fledgling theater group, but, but going strong, hopefully. And I'd like to ask Ross what he likes to watch on TV. Gosh, that's, that's really hard to say. There's not a heck of a lot that I really enjoy on TV. I do look at it. I do look at it. I think I look at uh, the my dish more than I do local. I, nature. I am absolutely in love with nature shows. And um, I look at some news. Do you watch, uh, like, Boston Legal or any of those sort of network shows? Do you watch Boston Legal or any of the network no, shows? No, I don't, I don't watch uh, things like that anymore. Okay. I've had my fill. Do you watch news programs? I watch news programs and nature programs, mm -hmm. medical programs, <laughs> some comedy, mm -hmm. but not a lot. Uh, I'm not a, a big television aficionado anymore for the reasons that you described before the, yes. the, the commercial influence yeah yeah well thank you so much and i will continue being a secret admirer of ross's well, thank you for asking <laughs> bye-bye thanks for calling uh -huh. hello you're live on wild duck living good morning morning just wanted to tell him i was raised in the new york area back in the 30s i'm in my 80th year ah and i Went in the military in the 40s, served 22 years, and disabled twice in Korea. But I love what he says. And, I, you know, I just love this program. Thank you. Do you have a question for Ross? Yeah, has he got a million bucks? What? <laughs> have you got a million bucks? <laughs> no. I'm Cl only kidding him. Close, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to tell you one dreadful thing that's happened to me. All my life, all my working life, I worked with sound. I am now almost deaf. It has been told to me by my Veterans Administration audiologist that one of the important things about my hearing aids is that it enables me to read lips better. <laughs> they issued me two hearing aids, but I don't wear them because they make things too loud for me. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Especially when I'm driving. Yeah. And I work at the VA clinic in Ukiah as a volunteer. He, he works in the VA clinic in Ukiah as a volunteer. Uh, I've got, uh, I'm looking at Johanna so I can read her lips, and she's interpreting what's coming over my hearing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little hard to hear through the phone, yeah. yeah. But, but I'll tell you the truth, and this is a philosophical thing. If at age 89 I had to lose something, 
one thing. I'll give up my ears before I give up anything else. And we and we won't ask what there's anything else. Hey, so. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are great. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, for I, I grew up partly in the Bronx too. Oh, okay. He grew up in the Bronx. Oh, in the thirties. Oh, if you grew up in the Bronx, then you know where D. Wood Clinton High is. Yep, that's where I graduated from. Oh, oh, oh. I went to school in New Jersey in Union City. He went to school in Union City. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. You well, think... thank you so much for calling in. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being there for us. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, you're live on Wild Oak Living. Hello. Are we on? Yes, you are. Hi. I, I just, I'm another admirer of Ross. I'm a fine art photographer, and I would love to do his portrait. I have often wondered, I listen to his show all the time, his little spot, and I've often wondered why... Excuse me? Uh, I'm, I'm just asking Ross if he can hear you or whether I should repeat what you're saying. Yeah, um, repeat it so yeah. I can read your lips. He's, he's a photographer and also an admirer of yours, and he would love to do your portrait. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you very much. So much character in one biped uh, organism. <laughs> so much character in one biped organism. <laughs> How, however, you don't want to waste film on an old old. Uh, no, I'm not going to use that word. <laughs> it, it's not film anymore. It's not film <laughs> anymore, he says. Nothing to waste. <laughs> it's just electrons. Just electrons. <laughs> okay, so I'm an admirer of his show, but I have always had an issue with it, and I wondered why he presented his excellent information in such a vitriolic um, tone, and I now understand that it's his wife that's put him up to it. <laughs> She suggested. Hold on a need- second. Hold on a second, okay. so I can repeat this. Uh, he's always been an admirer of your show, and he. But he was wondering why you present your information in such a vitriolic tone, and now he knows that it's your wife who put you up to it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Do 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 I really sound vitriolic? Yes, and and personally, I think it's to your detriment. Your information that you provide, I am oftentimes already familiar with. Well, I'm going to tell you something. This is what my wife has said to me. She has told me to tone down a little bit. And so I will do that. Well, well, good for her because I do a lot of of traveling. And when I'm on the East Coast, I spin the AM talk shows from one end of the dial to the other when I'm in the car for hours. And what you hear is highly conservative, extremely vitriolic, talk radio from one end of the band to the other, and to have someone with your character and depth of information provide that information in, with, with the same cast, it, just, it, it puts a yellow glow onto it that I think is really undeserved, because your information is very good. Okay. So here's a vote from Radio Land that if, if the acid were toned down, and the information were just more plainly presented. I agree with speaking in seventh grade language. I agree in in focus and simplifying. I agree no fifty dollar words. But if I, I think those of us that are listening to you, possibly more or less the choir, were just given the plain information, it would hit home a lot better than actually trying to hit us over the head. Well, I'll tell you what. I am definitely going to take it under consideration, definitely. And this is not just talk. 
Excellent. Thank and, you very much for what you do. And thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for calling in. And our phone is ringing off the hook, Ross. Yay. <laughs> Hello, you're live on Wild Oak Living. Yes. Um, uh, this question is for Ross, of course. And I was just struck by his comment that he was interested in politics beginning with the time Hitler came to power. And I was wondering, um, in light of the current economic situation where we might be facing a serious downturn, does he think that the core of America has changed in its ability to respond to a, um, a serious setback? Do you think that the core of America has changed in its ability to respond to a serious setback? No, I don't think so. I think it's, I think uh, what we have is slightly beneath the surface right now. But I think in the event of a serious setback, I think we will be back to where we belong. Right now, we're inundated with silliness. We're inundated with useless facts, with some useless politics, with selfish politics. But I think that can change, and I think it must change. And we have only about three minutes left in this program, Ross, and I I would love to give you an opportunity to talk to us a little bit about um, what are some of the things that you would tell young people nowadays in terms of, you know, let's say somebody in their 20s, uh, what is some of the wisdom that you would share? What would you tell young people as they move into their lives, uh, you know, priorities or lessons that you've learned? One of the most important things I would tell the young people of today. You're talking about the 20-year-olds. Yeah. Vote. Mm -hmm. Go to work and vote. Ain't nothing going to happen if you sit at home. You get out there and put your vote into practice. If you don't do that, somebody is going to take over this country and you're not going to be happy. And if we look around you can see how relatively easily it can happen if you don't vote. You've been there, Johanna. We've never talked about this before. This is the first time you and I have ever talked about anything like that. And like I said, when I was young, I watched what was happening in Germany. And I was interested in what was happening in Germany. And I couldn't figure out why these people didn't understand what was happening. So the important thing I would say to the young people, number one, get your education. Number two, vote. And in order to vote properly, read and listen. You're not going to get it by watching comedy shows. You're not going to get it by looking at television. You're going to read something subscribe to the magazines, different magazines. They're available. You can find them. But read and vote. And to me, that's the most important thing that a young person in their 20s or even whatever can do today. 
Well, with that, we have come to the end of the program. Ross, Mary, thank you so much for being on Wild Oak Living. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. I think we need to do this again. Maybe we'll do it once a year. How's that sound? I'll do that. (laughs) And thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been an interview with Ross, Mary, Casey Waxenzi's senior programmer. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wild Oak Living today. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Ross Mary that I recorded originally in 2007. If you would like to find out more about Ross Mary's life, including seeing pictures uh, and more details about his early childhood and how he grew up and other fascinating info about Ross Mary, you can just simply put into your favorite search engine Ross Mary Anderson Valley or Ross M- Murray Boonville. And you will find articles in the Anderson Valley Advertiser, in the Ukiah Daily Journal, and other sources of information with pictures. This is Johanna Wildoak. Join me for another edition of Wildoak Living here on KZYX on Thursday, August 25. Thanks again for tuning in to Wildoak Living today. And please check out our website, kzyx.org, where you can find out more about KZYX, where you can make a donation to this wonderful radio station, and also where you can find podcasts of the local public affairs programs here on KZYX and Z. 